Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Hello there and welcome to the show, which is brought to you by The Athletic and The Square Ball. My name is Dan Moylan. Hello. And from The Athletic, remotely today, it's Phil Hay. Yes, back in lockdown. Hello. And from The Square Ball, Michael Normanson. Hello. Right now, if you want to subscribe to The Athletic, there is a special New Year's discount in place. three ninety nine a month if you want to get your teeth into that. And what can we look forward to on The Athletic this week, Phil? What have I got? Um, there's a piece coming up on the 23s and the, the sort of close relationship between them and the, the first team at Leeds, which is quite unusual at, at Premier League level um, and, and particularly relevant given that the, the Crawley game is coming around on Sunday. Um, and we've also got coming up next week an um, interview with Romario Vieira, the lesser known of the two Vieiras, but um, a lot of very interesting stuff in, in that piece. So that'll be around sort of Tuesday, Wednesday time. More on the 23s in due course, but if you want to get signed up to The Athletic and read all that stuff by Phil, head to theathletic.com forward slash leads pods. Of course, you get all the ad-free versions of our podcasts too. That's theathletic.com forward slash leads pod. To the New Year's football, and I wanted to call it White Hart Lane, but it's not White Hart Lane, is it? It's it's the posher version of White Hart Lane. I don't know if the, the cheese room ever did get built in the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And Phil, you weren't down there to find out, I believe, were you? No, I wasn't. I, I was remotely for that. I think if you promise a cheese room, you've got to deliver one, haven't you? I'm pretty sure they came up with one uh, at Manchester City when they they redid the the Emirates, and and I don't um, I don't doubt that when the West Stand gets gutted at, at Ellen Road, it'll be right at the top of the list, won't it? You've got to have a cheese room. The beast and fromagerie. Can't wait to can't wait to experience that. It's going to be amazing. Derrily triangles all round. <laughs> Two Spurs and the actual football itself, um, and. They were annoyingly efficient, weren't they? A game that we kind of, we didn't want to start the new year like that, but we almost have to take defeats like this on the chin. I don't think any of us three felt particularly confident about it when we were talking last week. And we do a, a match day discussion that starts well before kickoff and, and carries on until a couple of hours afterwards as well. And the general feeling on there seemed to be that there was a chance because there's always a chance if, if Leeds play well but actually on you know, balance of probability they're, they're strong at the back spurs they don't give an awful lot away and they've got Kane and Son who are going to score goals are going to cause problems and are two of the, the best players by a mile in the league so the, I, I sort of got the sense that people were crossing their fingers hoping for the best but weren't anticipating an awful lot from that game and, and I didn't either to be honest they are a, a very good side spurs um, they like so many teams at that level of the league, they're, they're pretty settled. They've they've got years and years of of experience and and now to lean on, and and they know what they're doing. And and it was always going to be a case, a little bit like Old Trafford, a case of whether Leeds attacking, Leeds dominating, and, and controlling possession was going to break Spurs at the back, or whether it was going to hit a bit of a brick wall, or whether chances were going to go begging, and Spurs were going to pick Leeds off. And and that's what happened in the end. And the first goal was was soft. It was a mess. It, it was a mistake. To my mind, that really set the tone for the whole day. What had been a pretty balanced and even contest up until that point turned on on that penalty. Spurs got themselves ahead and and I didn't think from that point onwards they looked like letting it go. For me, it's a a very clear demonstration of of something we're we're seeing now as we've spent nearly half a a season in the Premier League. It's leagues within leagues, in in my opinion there. 
your uh, opinion on the penalty, Phil? Yes or no? I thought it was, although it was it was very borderline, and and I I can see why there was so much confusion about it. It was a case of where the, again it, it was you know interpretation involved. Where was the the critical contact between Alioski and and Bergwijn? It it was it, it looked initially, and if you 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 know if you stop the slow mo in the right position from a Leeds point of view, it looked as if Alioski's boot went through you know, the back of the boot in front of him outside of the box. But actually the, the sort of thigh to thigh, leg to leg contact, which um, which seemed to commit the foul, I think probably if we're being fair and being neutral, was on the line or, or just about on the line. There was a bit of benefit of the doubt needed. But I, it was without question, it was a foul. You know, that wasn't in dispute. It was all about the, the position of it. But the more I looked at it and the more I studied it, particularly after the game, I, I thought that, yeah, it probably was the right decision. You could argue the game turned on that moment, but it's quite telling, I think, that we haven't really clung on to it as the turning point of the game um, overall. We kind of just had to suck it all up in that way that we did, particularly with the second goal, which was just an incredibly good bit of Premier League football, annoyingly so. Well, that's that's the difference, really. You were talking about leagues and leagues, and, and I agree with that. I think it feels this season as if it's taken far longer for the division to break up into the the individual leagues that you get, so your bottom section, your your middle half, and then your top end as well. There's a kind of a lot of cobwebs and a lot of strain on on a lot of squads, which means that performances haven't been exceptional. You haven't seen anything like the form from Liverpool or the the confidence from Liverpool that you had um, last season. It's taken City a, a while to get going as well, but you have a, a kind of level of class in, in players like Son and, and Kane that, that you just don't have at Leeds at the moment, which is not a criticism and, and is not a slight. It just, again, makes the point that it's going to take a, a while to catch up. It's going to take a lot of investment um, for Leeds to, to start bridging that gap. And, you know, that was a that was a really, really clinical moment. The first goal was a, an out-and-out mistake. It was, you know, Mesley's pass that kind of fell betwixt and between Phillips and, um, and Luke Ayling and, and ran to Harry Winks. And, you get a few of them from from Mesley, and we can we can maybe come on to talking about him because there was naturally a, a bit of discussion about his age and and his inexperience after that. But it's the risk you take playing as Bielsa wants to play, and you know that that is going to happen from time to time. The second goal, it, it wasn't quite impossible to defend, and I think if you want to be hypercritical, you can see it Son getting in between the two centre backs and and think that one of them should have have had him marked but the speed of his run and the, the intelligence of his, his run and you know, the way that, that Kane puts it on a plate and, and Son finishes it you know that is really top level Premier League football and that you know that is what you're going to come up against from time to time and, and that certainly killed the game but as I say I I didn't think there was going to be a way back into it at 1-0 because you knew then that Spurs had the game that they wanted and, and we're going to be able to without controlling the ball and controlling possession we're going to be able to dictate things And on the third goal that header uh, Melier falling back behind his line with the ball. It's not the first time we've seen that this season. Uh, let's talk about him and his form and th- these mistakes that are, are present in his game. Because there is an argument, and I am simply playing devil's advocate here, fully aware that uh, we're likely to see Kiko Casilla at the weekend. Uh, if he was making these mistakes, do you think he'd be getting more pelters than uh, Melier is? Or is context important? I think he probably would be. Although I think the context to that is the fact that Casilla's been here and, and involved in the first team for a lot longer. He's he's vastly more experienced than um, Melier. He's, he's also a lot more expensive and, and came with a much bigger profile. He has the background of Espanol, um, Real Madrid. Um, Melier has no you know top flight experience prior to, to this season. So you're talking about very different keepers at, at very different 
stages of the career. I guess I'd be interested to know from you two whether or not you have any concerns about Melier and the team. Before I sort of talk about him and, and where he, he's at, is there any thought in your head that he needs taken out of the team or, or any thought that the, the mistakes he's making versus the, the better parts of his player are in any way a concern? Because of his age, not really, to be honest. I'm, I'm perfectly happy to stick with him this season, particularly in a season where it looks like we are probably going to finish somewhere in the middle. I think in some ways it's a good it's a good time for him to be making these mistakes. If we were down in the bottom three or right up at the top, sort of jostling for Europe, I'd think it feels like those mistakes cost you. Whereas I feel like at the moment I'm happy for him to be getting the experience. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. I think when you place it against the the wider context, yeah, the season as a whole, we can afford to have one or two lapses like that. You know, I'm not going to pretend I don't watch it and think we need to do better there. The keeper needs to do better. We could probably do with a better keeper under those circumstances. But it doesn't feel at the minute like there's a huge amount at stake. We're doing enough to be where we are and the mistakes are not costing us to any great degree, I don't think. And he's incredibly young. I mean, he's he's young for a reserve goalkeeper, never mind a first choice. I, th- I think if you look along the benches, you won't see many 20-year-olds on there. So for him to be in the first team and doing as well as he is doing, because... Th- I think he's done an awful lot of good things as well this season. Well, he has got away with a few dubious passes and there's been a couple of occasions he's been behind his line. He's also pulled off some great saves and I think in recent games he's been dominating his box relatively well as well on set pieces. Yeah, I I, I think that's right. And you were saying earlier about you know this being a good season to blood him in. It, it's turning out to be a very good season for that because it does look like Leeds are, are well on the way to, to being safe and they're going to have to have a, a really poor second half of the season if they're going to get sucked in. And and because of that, it, it kind of compensates for, for inexperience. It compensate, compensates for, for any errors. And it, it's a really good opportunity to push on a keeper who, who is a, a France youth international, does seem to have masses of potential. In terms of his age, we, we were chatting about this at, at the Athletic before the game at Spurs and, and somebody was saying to me, he, he does seem exceptionally young. You know, it's not that you don't get young keepers out in the game, but in, in Premier League terms, it, it feels really unusual. So we had a, a look back right through you know Premier League history back to, to 92 and, and granted, football goes back further than that, but these were the, the stats that Opta were able to provide us. And if he plays every game, starts every game now before his, his 21st birthday in March, then he's going to set a record for the most starts in a single season made by a keeper under the age of 21. The record's held, held by Paul Gerrard, who was at Oldham at the time. He made 25 starts. And that goes back to the 92-93 season. And you need to go back to Joe Hart in 2007-08 to find the last keeper who made as many starts at, at that age as, as Mesley is is on to, to make. And and also across Europe, I mean, we asked Opta to, to have a look at the you know, your top five Euro leagues. So um, the Premier League and Serie A, La Liga, Ligue 1 um, in France and, and the Bundesliga. And amongst keepers with, with 10 minimal starts this season, Melier is the youngest. You know, he's the only who's, only one who's under the age of, of 21, the only one who's, who's still to reach his, his 21st birthday. So they're very much breaking the mould of Leeds and, and breaking from convention by doing this. And I think... It's a good example of, of how confident Bielsa is in him. I think the fact that you know, he was asked on Saturday what he made of the mistake and he was quite quick to say, I suspect you're implying that there's a bigger bigger issue here or, or a bigger problem, you know, that, that perhaps he shouldn't be in goal. And and he was he was trying to say Bielsa, you know, in, in general, if you look at his performances over the course of the season, they've been very good and, and they justify his inclusion, they, they justify his selection. And 
you know, I, I think Bielsa will will accept the mistakes to a point because he knows how difficult he makes it for his goalkeepers. There's a lot of a, a lot to ask from them with, with distribution, long and short. It needs to be very accurate. They're, they're constantly on the ball and they can't just hide in the box and you know pull off a few saves from here to there and and you know kind of look look fancy when they get the chance. It's the very much an eleventh outfield player when when Leeds are on the ball. The one thing that I think Leeds can can do and, and need to change, not necessarily in this window, but but moving forward, is to increase the competition behind them. You know, it, it, it feels to me like Casilla is a bit of a busted flush at Leeds, in part because of the, the racism charge um, and, and the ban that he served, but in part because his form has been very mixed and very mediocre for somebody who was, you know, by a mile, the most expensive player in the squad, um, I say by a mile. I mean a, a long way clear of a lot of players at Leeds in in the Championship, and still on a you know hefty wage of of over thirty thirty five grand a week. I, I don't feel as if Casilla in the background longer term is going to be enough of a threat to to Melee. And I, I think it would be it would be beneficial to have somebody else there who who was knocking on the bo- on the door a bit more um, intently. Um, but for now, I'm I'm. Happy with the setup, I think it's a good opportunity to to let Melier develop, and you just get the feeling that if he does develop in the right way, and if if he does keep progressing, for the the five million pounds that they spent to sign him from Lorient, you know, over a period of five, ten years, perhaps longer, he could turn out to be an, a fantastic investment for that price. Just to go back to last season, he obviously was given his chance in the first team because of the the Kiko incident. Do you think we would have tried to sign him anyway? Or do you get the impression the club would would have not been as committed to the £5 million without having a, a proper look at him first? I think they'd have done that deal regardless, although that might have been influenced by whether or not they'd gone up. You know, had, had they stayed in the Championship, they'd have had to have made some, you know, some really serious decisions about where they were going to spend money. I mean, to be to be perfectly honest, they would have to have made serious decisions right across the board in terms of Bielsa, players they were going to try and keep. I think it was inevitable that Phillips would have been would have been sold. I don't think they could have asked for another season from him. But, you know, they were obviously, and you know, COVID affected this, but they were obviously looking at an option for Jack Harrison, which at that point was set at eight million pounds, um, Melier for for about five million. It's a lot of money for a championship club. I think in terms of his talent and his ability, they would have quite happily kept him, regardless of, of whether he'd played in place of Casilla. But it was always quite telling for me that in you know the last January transfer window, Leeds were well aware of, of what Casilla was going to be looking at uh, if he was found guilty of the racism charge. They knew it was going to be a minimum of six games, but potentially more, which at a critical period of a promotion season is is when you want your keeper in, in place. And, and, and in play... But there was no move at all to get anybody else in the January window. Bielsa was quite happy with what he had. And, and his attitude was simply, if Casilla gets banned, I'll play Millie. You know, he, he'll come into the team and he'll he'll play for as long as he needs to. And, and in the end, he's he's never lost his place since. I know um, Casilla played against Derby in that dead rubber back in July and, and also in the League Cup against Hull City earlier this season. But it's, it's never, ever felt as if there was much of a threat to Melee. It feels as if his position is very solid and, and very tight in this starting lineup at the moment. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think they were always keen to make the investment. I think, that, as I say, that the thing that would have influenced it would have been league status. But in their eyes, they they felt from the start that the option they'd agreed with Lorient was really good value for somebody with a with bags of talent. Broadening the discussion out to the defence as a whole, I mean, this is a bit of a, an obvious question, really, but... Do you think we're missing a little bit of continuity in there, given that we've got so many uh, first-choice centre-backs on the uh, on the treatment table? It's got to make a difference. Um, and, you know, it, it does involve 
constant reshuffling. So as much as I think actually Ailing has, has probably had his best games at centre-back this season, he is a right-back and Bielsa tried to make that point when he was asked about Ailing at centre-back. You know, he said, yeah, he's played well there, but, you know, he is a, a very, very competent right-back. And I think playing there consistently in over 15, 16 games helps you to, to get into your flow in, in the same way as I think, you know, Robin Koch, he seemed to improve the time in the defence. I think it, it's it definitely helps to develop an understanding with somebody like Liam Cooper if you're you're in the team for a good while. And and again at left back is there's had to be a little bit of chopping and changing between Alioski and Dallas because from time to time Dallas is needed over at right back and you know it, it these these changes have to be made. I mean I, th- I think in reality, even with the first choice defence, I suspect Leeds would still be quite leaky because of the way they're playing and because of the, the quality that they're they're up against. Um but I think I always feel that the defensive record, which is what thirty three goals conceded now, you have to make the mitigation of the fact that there are a lot of defenders out that you've got Urente, who's a Spain international who we've barely seen so far and, and is still injured um at this stage. And you know, minus those options, it becomes difficult to to tighten things up. It becomes difficult to find any any kind of solidity or or continuity at the back. So I don't think it would be a silver bullet um in terms of, for example, solving set pieces or or making leads ultra tight, but I certainly think it would help. Just on the defence actually, there were links yesterday with Tamori at Chelsea. Is that is that just speculation, do you think? It's, it seems odd that we'd go from having uh, essentially one centre back to four all of a sudden. It seems to be. I, I mean Leeds kind of inquired about Tamori back in the summer, but it was more of a speculative ask about, you know, what his situation was, whether he was available, you know, all, all of that. They they didn't really get into discussions about serious discussions about a deal. I don't think Bielsa did any real close up analysis of him because they were obviously after Ben White to begin with. Um they they had Robin Koch in the background as well, who was was always going to be the fallback if if White didn't happen as as in the end was the case. And Urenti it, it it very much felt as if the you know the, the the shift towards signing a second centre back came after the the League Cup game against Hull City, which from what I understand, I think Leeds were a bit disappointed by that game to say the least. I think Bielsa expected more of his side, and there were discussions afterwards in which it it, it was agreed that it would make sense to bring in somebody else, and it would make sense to have a little bit more depth rather than to to be relying too heavily on academy players who who hadn't played yet. I think the feeling was that there was it it was just a bit more insurance having somebody like Urenti um, than, for example, you know, turning instantly to Ollie Casey or, or Charlie Creswell. Um Creswell in particular, really well thought of in the academy, but obviously very, very raw and, and leads moving into a higher division. It it just seemed to to be more sensible to to go for somebody else with a bit more nose. As it turns out, Urenti has hardly been able to play. Um, he's he missed most of the season so far. Um, but in, in terms of Tomori, I mean, Bielsa said about centre-backs after these these injuries came up, the one to Cooper at, at Manchester United, he said, look, I'll, I'll work with what I've got. We've got academy players. We've got Phillips who can play there. We've got Ailing who can play there. You kind of feel that he'd, he'd give Casilla a bash there or, or try and make the best of him if if he needed to um, because it just seems to be to be his way. Uh, and that doesn't seem to have changed. There was never a plan to get another centre-back in. Um, from what I'm told, that, that as at this point hasn't shifted. I think it's likely that the interest in Tomori will, will come from elsewhere. But they are short numbers there. There's no question at all. I think, as ever, the way Bielsa sees it is that if he takes Tomori, 
and Cooper recovers and Llorente recovers and then Robin Koch is, is back fit. And notwithstanding the fact as well that you, you could have Gaetano Berardi um, recovered before the end of the season, suddenly he's got far more than he needs and it, it leads him back to that, that old problem and, and that old concern of his, which is having far too many players around the training ground, many of whom are, are never going to get a game. Just returning to Luke Ayling that you mentioned there and to close out the discussion on Spurs, he was your one to watch uh, up against Harry Kane. How do you think he got on? Sounded like a bit of a hell in a cell match that, didn't it? Ailing, uh, Ailing v Kane. Um, it was a difficult afternoon from the, the point where they conceded. I, I, I think Ailing was was quite guilty of a lot of stray passes on Saturday. As I say, I think he's done very well at, at centre-back, but that, that game was always going to test him. I, I didn't feel as if it was vintage Kane um, in the same way as I didn't feel it was vintage Son with the exception of the, the goal, which was, was outstanding, great finish. But I think all round, you know, Leeds, in, in the periods where Spurs stretched um, Leeds or, or tried to get at them, it, it was difficult. Um, and I don't think there's any doubt that with a goal and an assist, King, um, King comes out on top in that one. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Before we get into the under-23s and the article that you've written about, Phil, quick word on transfers. Have we got any sniffs of anything happening? Do you think anything will happen? Because, you know, Angus Kinnear told us when we spoke to him some weeks back that uh, they were expecting a quiet January, but, you know, never say never. Any any rumblings on the on the jungle drums? The incomings are quiet, and that was, was what we, we expected. Uh, I, I never rule out academy signings at Leeds because they seem to be recruiting on that front all the time and um, Dave McGurk the youngster over at Wigan again being mentioned he's somebody that Leeds are, are still interested in but I think most of what you're going to see this month will be loans heading out um, Tyler Roberts interesting one because he is in the picture in the sense that he's been in the squad in the main through the season, hasn't played an awful lot, but has been been right on the fringes. But there is a lot of um, a lot of loan interest in him from the, the championship derby, one of the sides that would like to take him. And I think Bielsa's feeling is that he'd like to keep Roberts, but at the same time, if Roberts wanted to get out and, and get some games and, and play more than he's able to at Leeds, he, he probably wouldn't wouldn't obstruct that either. Uh, and, and it seems to me like it might be a good idea. It feels like a long time now since Roberts has made a, a significant impact. I didn't think he was influential, particularly during the, the championship running, you know, post the, the COVID shutdown. And it, and it doesn't feel like he's been at the forefront of this in, in the Premier League either. So that's definitely something to watch as, as the month goes on. A slight change with Jordan Stevens. He's left um, his loan at, at Swindon Town. has been cut short. Um, understanding is that he'll go to Bradford City um, for the second half of the season. And we're waiting to see what happens with Ryan Edmondson. Um, his half-season loan at Aberdeen um, in Scotland is, is up. He hasn't played a great deal there, but Aberdeen would like to keep him um, and, and may try to do so. I think the consideration for Leeds and also for Edmondson's, uh, Edmondson and, and his, his camp will be whether or not it's worth staying if it doesn't look like um, he's, he's going to get a huge number of minutes um, up in, in Aberdeen. So there's League One and League Two interest in him. He, he will have other options. But I think in the main, what we see this month will be um, youngsters going out of the club. Where does Michael Elise fit into this? The guy at Reading who, uh, as a rumour, it won't go away. Is there any substance to this, do you think? He's the sort of player that Leeds will be looking at and, and have an eye on. I mean, you, you'll remember the links from 
the summer or the summer window with Todd Campbell at Norwich. Again, that was very much being pushed by Campbell's camp, but it's not the case that Leeds don't like him. You know, they do see plenty of talent in him. It just wasn't a deal they were going to do in that window. And Louis Sibley at Derby as well, another young prospect that that they admire, that they they're keeping an eye on. It's not to say that that nothing will happen on the incoming front this month, but I think, as we said in a previous podcast, if it does, it'll be a case of Leeds seeing something that they feel is is too good to miss. It, it doesn't feel as if they're in any way desperate to fill any particular position, so they're not going to get sucked into doing something they don't really want to do for the sake of this season. In, in many ways, this season doesn't really need that. You know, it, there isn't any urgency there. There isn't any any pressure to make signings. I mean, we we ran a survey on the Athletic um, on on New Year's Day, and one of the questions that we were asking about the club is whether or not. You know, supporters felt that, that there was there was a need for, for players to come in this month. And actually more than fifty percent said no, you know, that they were quite happy with the squad as it is, um, given the, the position in the league table. And and that's pretty unusual. I mean, it's hard thinking back over 10, 15 years, it's hard to think of a single transfer window or, or many, certainly, where you know, the, the supporters or us in the media have, have looked at the squad and thought, yeah, it's absolutely fine. You you don't need to do anything with this. It's always been the case that you felt that tweaks or improvements were needed to, to push leads over the line or to keep them in contention or to do whatever it was that, that they were trying to do in one specific season. But a bit like the, the season itself this time around, it, it feels pretty calm, you know, around transfers. It doesn't seem to be a huge amount of urgency. And I think, again, as with, you know, the, the summer window just gone, it'll be the summer window coming when, when Leeds really try to get active again. And as you said before, Phil, there's a a huge reliance and a huge relationship as well between the first team and the under-23s at Leeds, which perhaps the growing faith in that explains why we now understand how Bielsa works and we understand that there's this proper symbiosis between the two, the two teams. So you've done a bit on the 23s this week. That's getting published uh, in the next few days. Yeah, well, people will have seen the, the story uh, about Derby County and the COVID outbreak down there. Uh, and the fact that it looks like Derby will send um, 23s and, and under-18s to their FA Cup tie against Chorley, um, essentially because the first team were isolating and I think a, a few under-23s who have moved into their um, their COVID bubble uh, ahead of this game are, are having to isolate as well. It, it's made it very, very tricky for them. There's a difference at Leeds um, to the way that a lot of other Premier League clubs operate and are operating at the moment while coronavirus is going around. And the, the, the bubble at Leeds is big. You know, it, it covers the first team, but it covers the, the 23s as well. And it means that, as has always been the case under Bielsa, the, the kind of transition between them and, and the movement of first team players playing for the 23s and equally 23s coming up into the, the senior squad is is able to continue. And, and it's a really, really critical part of, of what Bielsa does and, and how he tries to manage the first team squad as a whole. Um, and, and it's interesting when you look through the, the appearances made by first team players for the 23s at Leeds, your Hernandez's, your Rodrigo's, your Rafinha's, the Friday morning, that Friday afternoon when Jack Harrison appeared at left back purely because he was ineligible against Manchester City, his parent club, so wasn't able to play in the Premier League game on the Saturday. You know, rather than just give him the weekend off, he, he was put in um, playing out of position in in that side at, at Thorpe Arch on the Friday afternoon, and again just to keep his his fitness ticking over. And when you contrast it with other Premier League sides, particularly those at the top end of the league, you find that your Liverpools and your Manchester Cities and your Chelsea's and, and others, and you'll come back at me with a joke about where Chelsea are on the table, but they don't use the 23s much for the first team. You know, there isn't a, a huge crossover, certainly on the way down. You know, it isn't the case that 
players at Liverpool are being given minutes by being played um, for the, the development squad at City, it basically never happens. You know, the, the, it, there just isn't the crossover there. But with Bielsa, it's constant. You know, you've had Costa, who's featured quite a few times. Rafinha's been in there. Rodrigo, £30 million, Spain number nine, you know, has, has been in with the, the 23s as well. And it, it basically, the, the setup means that coming up to a game like Crawley this weekend, they've, they've got a bubble that allows Bielsa to mix it up. But also, they've got the development and experience there, which I think could let him make changes this weekend. And, you know, without overlooking what happened against Hull back in September, I think could give him a reasonable level of confidence that a week inside can, can do the business down there. This kind of difference then between us and a lot of the other Premier League clubs, the use on the 23s, is that purely down to Bielsa? Well, it's not the case that at Leeds, um, they've they've never done that. You know, in, in the past, you've you've had that kind of setup, but it seems, certainly at Premier League level, it seems to have become rarer and rarer. And and whereas managers are looking for players to step up from the 23s, they, they don't seem, you know, in, in certain cases, to be using the 23s to, to keep first-team players sharp at all. I mean, you, it's not a secret that under Bielsa, that there's been this bridge um, between the academy and the first-team right the way through. And, it was helped at the outset by Carlos Corbran, who, who was 23's coach when Bielsa took over, but kind of inherited that dual role where he carried on with the 23's with Danny Schofield, but also had a, a foot in the first team camp. So was in Bielsa's um, dugout on match days, was involved in a lot of the training sessions. It, it felt like a big homogenous group, really, um, which to an extent is still what it is. Although since Corbran has gone to Huddersfield and, and Mark Jackson has taken over the, the 23's, you don't see Jackson in the dugout on first team match days. I don't think the relationship is is quite as close, but there are debriefs after every 23s game. You know, Bielsa is very, very specific about which first team players need to play for the 23s, how many minutes they need to get, how they, they have to be used. It's certainly not an, an us and them set up at all and, and never has been. And I think beyond that, you know, there's the willingness on Bielsa's part to see the under-23s as the padding for his first-team squad. You know, we were talking about Tomori there and whether Tomori could, could come in. There are other managers and other coaches who would want Tomori in these circumstances, who would say, look, you know, we haven't got Cooper, we haven't got Urente, we're down on numbers in that area. It would be good to have Tomori just as cover. But Bielsa's attitude, as I was saying, is, is that he doesn't want to be in a, a situation where he feels like he's got a massive bottleneck of experienced central defenders, a few of whom he, he can't, Offer minutes to, um. So it always has been the case for him that you know if he if he needs a fallback, it'll be Apple Halmy or or it'll be Jack Clark or it or, you know as things stand now, it'll be Charlie Creswell, Ollie Casey, Leaf Davis at, at centre back if if it needs to be. But in order to do that, you've you've got to have the twenty threes training exactly as you want to. You've got to have a lot of them involved with with the first team squad, and they have to be as schooled in his tactics as as anybody else. And that's the reason, essentially, why it's been so tight knit and and they've been so closely aligned. And um, from the point where where he came in, because he doesn't see them as two separate squads, he sees it as a you know as one squad that flows into the other, and vice versa. And and essentially, a group of players who, if he he sees talent, he thinks he can use, then he will. I guess one advantage to doing things that way is that you tend not, I'm not for one second suggesting that Tamori would be a bad apple, but you can find that you get bad apples in the camp when people are not getting minutes. Whereas relying on the 23s means you avoid that problem to a certain extent because they're on an upward trajectory. They're not just there filling space. It does. And and also if, you know, if you're sensible, if you're sensible under 23 and you look at the track record under Bielsa, it's not that academy players have played a huge amount under him. You know, you, you, 
Shackleton, for example, has been very in and out. And, and I understand why Shackleton hasn't had more games, but it's always one of those unfortunate things where when you see him play and you see him play well, you wish that there was a, a way in which he could be used more and, and could be brought on more. But then you look at the form and, you know, the form of the Premier League and also in the Championship. And and there's no argument to be had with Bielsa's selection policy. They're very big these days. And I, I mean, a lot of clubs are like this now, but at Leeds, certainly big on, you know, looking at players' personalities and characters and also the, thinking about the chemistry of, of how they're going to, to fit in. I mean, two of the players... I'll be kind of watching with interest to see if they feature this weekend. There'll be Sam Greenwood and Joe Gelhard, um, two forwards in the, the under-23s who've, who've scored close to half of the goals for them this season <laughs> and actually have been very good and close friends um, for a long time. They um, they cross paths in the England youth setup and have clearly hit it off. And, you know, the, it's that sort of thing, I think, that, that leads look for. what What's their attitude like? How are they likely to settle um, are they going to fit in? Are they going to understand the, the processes and, and Bielsa's policy? Are they going to be happy if they have to wait for a while? I mean, one of the things we were writing about in this piece was the fact that you know Bielsa was involved in some of the Zoom calls to sign Gelhard from Wigan, and you know Leeds Leeds worked really hard on that. They they had Leicester, they knew that Leicester were in for him, but it was a deal they wanted to do, so they did the, the kind of presentations that seemed to have become. You know, standard practice now with certainly with first team signings, they were able to say to Gelhard, "Look, we've seen these goals that you've scored, so we know what you do. But also, we can show you with these this video footage what it is that we think you need to improve in your game, what it is in your game that will fit into ours. You know, using footage from games that Leeds have been playing under Bielsa, basically able to give him the the full package of how he would be handled and and what they would try to work on. And I think more than anything, and again, this worked really well with, with Robin Koch." To make him feel wanted, you know, to make him feel as if actually Leeds knew knew just about everything about him, and and they weren't just taking a punt on a player who was going at a sort of cut price fee from Wigan. They were going for somebody who they they genuinely were keen on, um, who they genuinely rated, and and who therefore had that promise about you know being involved further down the line. And and it would be great actually if if Gilhard and or Greenwood was to feature um, against Crawley because. You know, we've seen and, and heard a lot about them um, in the under-23s and, and it would be nice to, to kind of see them blooded against a, a proper football league side. To go back to the recruitment over summer into the under-23s and, and also some of the outgoings on loan, do you see the players that are out on loan now coming back and making an impact? Or are they are we now at the stage where we're looking at selling Ryan Edmondson and giving him some minutes so so it can improve that? People like Gotts and Bogus, who at some point have we had high hopes for. It, it feels a little bit like they've been pushed down the pecking order slightly. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And the the attitude, it has has kind of changed slightly with Bielsa, but his attitude for a long time was that any of the the 23 that he really rated, he wanted to be at Leeds regardless of whether they were playing because he felt that they would develop more training under him than they would being on loan elsewhere. And and you can see the logic behind that and that if he decides one day to use them, they're going to be more set up for his team on the basis that they've been involved in in the training at Thorpe Arch. Um, Edmondson, I'd be surprised if there's a, a long-term future for him at Leeds. It doesn't appear that that, that one's going to work out. And, and Jordan Stevens, again, really not sure whether whether that's going to happen for him at Leeds. If you take somebody like Alfie McCalmont, for example, over at Oldham, I mean, I, I wrote in one of the pieces I did earlier this year that Bielsa spent almost 20 hours watching footage of him over the summer, you know, to, to kind of get his head around his game, to see what he thought of him, to properly establish whether he, he thought, you know, McCalmont was somebody that he could use. And I think the fact that McCalmont has now gone out to, you know, out on loan, you know, to, to Oldham, you know, and, and 
from a position in the, the squad at Leeds that isn't, you know, hugely covered at senior, you know, with senior players, midfield can be quite thin um, on occasions. It suggests to you that that he isn't quite in the mix at the moment. But I mean, it's it's not the case at Leeds that that they've suddenly gone to the point where they want their academy to be productive because it's always been productive. You know, they, they've always produced high quality youngsters um, at Leeds. But I think when they recruit now and, and they bring players in, so Drammy, for example, Cody Drammy from, from Fulham and then you know, players like Greenwood and, and Gelhard, I think with the, the amount of scouting that goes on and, and the amount of background checking that, that they do into them, there is a genuine hope that actually all of these signings they make are going to be of some actual use further down the line. You know, that, that all of these players could potentially be good enough. And and I think they've tried to go from a scenario where you have a crop in which you fancy one or two might make it to a crop where you think the the output could be far higher than that. And I know the 23s have been helped this season by having Hernandez in there and Rodrigo in there and, and Rafinha as well. But the top of the league, um, top of the, the Premier League division um, on the 23s level, and in the main are, are playing extremely well. So there's there's clearly a lot of potential there. Do we expect uh, Gelhart and Greenwood to be the ones that make that next breakthrough? Because we see the other ones who are milling around the edge of the first team, you know, such as Creswell and so on. And Ollie Casey's made a, a bit of a move in that direction, but no actual inroads yet for those two. And, and yet they seem to be kind of the uh, the brightest hopes. They're very, they're very close to the front of the queue. There's no doubt about that. But it is quite telling, I think, that even though the, the bench size has increased um, and, and the match day squads for Premier League games has increased to, to 20 and you can now get nine players on the bench, that we haven't seen... Greenwood on there. We haven't seen Gelhard on there. Actually, I mean, we, we haven't seen any 23s debuts in the Premier League this season, which I think is probably a reflection of the fact that you can't be rash and, and reckless about that at, at this level. You, you've maybe got to be a little bit more considered about it and you've got to be a bit more certain about how the players are, are going to cope. We did obviously have Creswell's debut um, in the, the League Cup game against Hull, for example. So there are plenty of, of players who are on the fringes. Um, but, I mean, it would be something to look out for, I think, if Tyler Roberts was to go on loan. If he was to go to Derby or somewhere else, and Bournemouth have been pretty heavily linked with him. If he goes out this month, then it does leave space on the bench for a forward, for a striker, for a player in, in that mould, so somewhere between a 9 and, and a 10. And if you're looking at the squad at Thorpe Arch at the moment, it's very difficult, you know, in, in that particular area, to look beyond Gelhard or, or Greenwood. They look like the outstanding options. Crawley Town away at lunchtime on Sunday. It is then, and the question does remain. I guess what sort of a side will we put out for this one? You would expect several changes, but do we maybe expect quite a number of first-team players in there as well, Phil? What's your, your take on it? Well, Bielsa's going to speak tomorrow, which is Friday for, for anybody who, who's listening. So I, I would imagine he'll give a, a fairly clear outline of, of what he's thinking. Although, you know, since um, since naming his team earlier in the season, he's he's gone into reverse gear on that front and, and seems to be trying very hard now not to um, announce his side, um, not to give too much away on on the team news front. I think um, I think he he seemed to be concerned that he was being seen to be disrespectful by um, by just announcing his, his eleven there and then um, before the game. I mean, the noises I hear from Leeds are that he, he does want to have a crack at the FA Cup this season. I think he was he was actually really disappointed to go out to Arsenal last year. Leeds played very well down there for 45 minutes and then just ran out of steam a bit in the second half and, and were picked off. But I think he felt as if that was there to be won. I think he felt that the team he played should have been good enough to have, to have got them through that tie given how well they dominated the first half. 
at the same time, I, th- I think they'll. I, I reckon there'll be a, a kind of split. I, I think you'll you'll find a balance between resting or leaving out certain players and giving some of the the twenty threes a go. But I don't think you'll want to be too reckless with it, and I don't think you'll you'll want to get beaten down there. Um, but you never quite know with him because. In the main, he's always made changes for cup ties. That has tended to be his way, you know, to to mix it up and and to use some more of the fringe players. So it would be a bit of a surprise if if he broke from that. But I do kind of feel like it's. I, I wrote about this after the the League Cup defeat to Hull. Now, it's been a long time since Leeds have made inroads in these competitions and and gone close to winning a trophy. You know, certainly a knockout trophy. Um, and a long time since they've gone close to the latter stages of it. You know, it it, it was. 96 that were last in the League Cup final. It was um, 87 when they were last in the, the FA Cup semi-final. And and given that a lot of the sides in the Premier League are going to be weighed down, you know, in the second half of the season with European fixtures and, and everything else, certainly at the top end of the division, <coughs> and given that Leeds seem to be in, you know, in, in pretty good fettle and, and in a strong position themselves when it comes to staying up, it does feel as if they could have a go at this. And it does feel as if, you know, starting with Crawley, they should have a chance of going quite deep into the tournament. So this isn't one to sell down the river, I don't think. I think this is one to, to take as seriously as, as is sensible um, and to, to certainly try and get through. Coventry 87, cried at that. <laughs> Villa 19, 1996, cried at that for different reasons. One was because I was a child, the other one because I was hungover. It's not worth getting to the latter stages then, that's what you're saying. Let's try and bomb out of this one early. Let's avoid that, avoid the hurt, yeah. I'm, I must admit, I'm of a similar mind that it's worth having a go at this this year, which is, I realise, completely setting us up for a, a 1-0 defeat here. But I think it'd be nice to see Click get a rest and probably Ailing in Dallas as well, because I feel like they have played more or less every game for the last two and a half years now, and it'd be nice to give them give them a, a weekend off for a change. I think as well, if if you were thinking of Greenwood or Gelhard, and I know that Gelhard's been playing in a bit more of a uh, withdrawn role um, as opposed to the, the the nine position that I think Greenwood sees as his strongest position, it would be a chance to to give Bamford a bit of a breather, you know, after a really really good first half of the season. I mean, I can relate to that story about eighty seven. Uh, when when I watch the highlights of that, you you feel as if it's all there for Leeds, you know, you feel as if it's all there for them to to win that tie, and and then. Suddenly it's gone, and, and he's, I well, he's welling up again, here, Phil. Just to warn you, I'm sure I'm sure he is. Yeah, I, I remember in '88, I was only seven, and I remember Hearts playing Celtic in the Scottish Cup semi-final, and um, Dave McPherson, I think, scoring the opening goal in that, and looking like Hearts were going to win until Henry Smith, formerly of Leeds, had a nightmare in the last few minutes, and um, and Leeds scored twice right at the end. I think McIverney got at least one of them, but might have been Andy Walker as well, and and just stripped away from you in in a way that you you didn't think was possible or you didn't think was was going to happen and and then suddenly 87 becomes you know 2021 and you're still looking to to get back to that point um and yeah so like I say there's there's a balance to strike I think and and a balance to strike especially because Crawley are in decent position in in League Two and in pretty good form at the minute so it's not going to be straightforward. I am pleased to report that Leeds United made me cry in 2020 as well but uh when I was totally grown up but for more positive reasons, it was that was a nicer crying. But yeah, in '87, I just I couldn't get my head around it. I, I wasn't a seasoned loser by that point, but uh, there was that one, and then the playoff final later on in the season. So it was a double whammy in one go. It was quite a lot to take on uh, on the shoulders of a small child. But you know, here we are. It prepared me for plenty more to follow in the years to come. Yeah, I'd like I'd like to see his win a cup, Phil. That'd be nice. I won't mind that at all. I don't care under what circumstances it arrives, because like you say, life gets away from you quickly. Michael was mentioned there as well. Cleek, you know, the possibility of, of resting him. The other thing that Bielsa is going to have to take into consideration is the fact that he's 
lost Phillips to a one-match ban now, which will kick in for Brighton at home, um, the next Premier League game. So again, the, the midfield is going to need a bit of reshuffling. And I know it's not Cleek who falls into to that position, but he certainly needs all the numbers he can get um, for that game coming around. So yeah, he's, he's going to have to get it right this weekend. Do you think he'll play Phillips? I, I fancy him to play him. I suspect he will. Yeah, I suspect he will. And, and as we were saying, you, you kind of wonder if Phillips might show up in the, the 23s at some point on the basis that he's he's going to be missing a game, although I, I would I would suspect not. But again, that that to me seems like the sort of choice, Phillips at Crawley, that some people might look at it and think that you're, you're risking your best player. But equally, I think him and the team and his strength and, and quality as a defensive midfielder it gives you a bit more flex, flexibility and a bit more freedom, I think, to blood a few 23s. I think with Phillips in there um, and with his his intelligence and his ability to kind of pull the strings and, and run the show, you can go down that route and, and you can be a bit braver with, with some of your other selections. Um, so, I, it, again, wouldn't surprise me. And, and as ever, I mean, there, there is strike you can play there. You know, there, there are alternatives. But there's never an obvious out-and-out replacement for Phillips um, in, in that particular role. So, interesting to see with that one. I'm um, even more intrigued by the idea of Rodrigo playing this game. I, I wouldn't be entirely surprised to see him uh, starting up front. I don't know why. Well, as I say, the, the, you know, the, there is the option of taking Bamford out of the team, and you would think that at some stage Bamford is either going to need a rest or you know just a, a little bit of a break. This would seem like a, a prime opportunity um, to do it. And I mean, January is actually quite a busy month. A lot, a couple of midweek fixtures coming up: um, Southampton and, and Newcastle. Um, and potentially more FA Cup games as well. So it is going to be fairly chocolate, although that doesn't seem to influence Bielsa's thinking a great deal. I mean, you can go from really, really tough game against Burnley on a Sunday afternoon to exactly the same lineup, smashing West Brom two days later. You know, he, he, he's always said that he doesn't believe in squad rotation for the sake of it. It's kind of, you know, if somebody's really flagging, that's that's different, or if somebody's badly out of form, then you, you're kind of given no choice. But it always seems to, to me with Bielsa that he would happily go with the seven, the same 11 from start to finish in, in a season if he could count on it playing well consistently and if he could count on it holding up through that number of games. But yeah, Rodrigo at Crawley would be fun. I think Rafinha at Crawley would be fun. I think between the setting and, and the weather, it would be a bit of an eye-opener for both of them. So so yeah, why not? What sort of a game do we expect? Because do we know much about Crawley as a team? How are they getting on this season? What's their style? Do they have a style? Good question. They've been competitive in League Two and they've they've come into a good bit of form at the right time. I mean, it's incredibly tight in that league and is at the moment really difficult to call. They're um, they're in sixth place, but you've got basically the, the top 10 divided by about eight points. You've got Carlisle out, out in front, but there's not much in it. Um, and they're clearly one of, the, one of the better sides. If they're sensible, they're going to have to be quite industrious. They're going to have to be quite agricultural, I think. I don't think there's any way in which you could try and play, you know, a league two side could try and play Leeds at their own, own game. And and it's unfortunate for them, a little bit like Marine against Spurs and, and other fixtures of that nature. It's unfortunate for them that they have they have no crowd because it has to be said that these are the games that have quite often got under Leeds' skin. You know, Newport away, Sutton away, they, they haven't tended to cope well in these games and, and with crowds like that round about them. It's, it's a different era now. It's a different head coach. It's, it's a different squad with a, a different level of confidence at Leeds. But I think if you're going to Crawley with with the stands packed and, and the, the stadium sold out, you just have that little niggle in your head. But as, as it is, and with the players that Bielsa has to work with, it, it should be it should be there for Leeds to win this tie. And do we expect Leeds to win it? I mean, I know I've just talked up the idea of a cup run, but I, I say that from a position of 
not expecting us to win this trophy and lift it at the end of the season in the slightest. I've become conditioned to that in in that Leeds United way. We should win it, shouldn't we? <laughs> How much are you betting against us? <laughs> I might have to have a look, a look at the odds. But um, I think the, the whole game earlier in the season was maybe a change too far, wasn't it? As Phil says, with, with Phillips in there, it gives us a platform to build and for some of the, the younger players to, to have a game. And when you actually look back to that, that whole game, there's a fair few of them have actually left the club now. You've got people like Bogus and Douglas and Gotts played in that. So there's it's going to be a different team from that one. And I, I think he'll, it'll be about half and half and I think it will be enough. I think it should be enough as well. I, I don't think Belsha will have gone easy on the players after the game against Hull. I don't think he'll be transmitting the message that they can they can let this one go cheaply either. Um, I mean, there, there is you know there is a bit of talent in, in Crawley's side. Somebody I was speaking to earlier in the week was talking about um, Max Waters, their, their um, centre forward, who's on sixteen goals in, in eighteen games this season. So you know, clearly some some threat there and and some finishing ability too. But it is funny to think of the way in which Leeds have made a meal of games like this over the years and, and how often it is that they've managed to embarrass themselves at, at venues where really they, they should have gone and won quite comfortably. But I, without wanting to tempt fate, um, I, and I always seem to tempt fate, but I, I, I think they'll get the job done this weekend. You hope so. And um, their nickname is, well, rather nice this, the Red Devils. Excellent. Get into them, as the phrase goes. <laughs> And of course, we're on the telly for this one, so uh, any shame will be um, will be borne out nationally on national TV, which is great. Yeah, it it wasn't a fantastic set of fixtures in round three. I didn't think Marine against Spurs is is great, but obviously again lacking a crowd. Um, you, you suspected that somebody was going to go for Crawley Leeds because Leeds are almost too good not to in in terms of broadcasting figures not to to bother with, and I think as well because they've been playing as impressively as they have and, and they've got Bielsa there's more of a there's far more of a plot in a cup shock like this um, if, if Bielsa's side get beaten away at Crawley than there is for example if Christiansen's side get beaten away at, at Newport County um, but yeah it, you know they've had a lot of telly dates in the past of Leeds and these do tend to attract the cameras Sutton certainly did Newport did even all the way back to Histon on that swimming pool of a pitch so yeah it is there's going to be nowhere to hide if if this goes wrong, but I do feel I do feel confident about Bielsa getting this one right. Yeah, I, I don't have the usual lower league cup tie uh, yips about this one. I mean, I know, Michael, you're the one I'm always looking at for this because you're you're the barometer for this sort of stuff. Are you genuinely are you concerned concerned by this? As Phil mentioned, I hope in the empty stands will give it a training game kind of a vibe to it, and they can just they can just turn up like it's any old any old day at Thorpe Arch. I mean, you wonder what research Bielsa and his team have done for this. Have they gone for the full the full dossier, the hours and hours pouring over VHS tapes late into the night to understand exactly what Crawley Town are about? Do you suspect he's gone the whole hog on this then, Phil? Oh, they'll have done huge amounts. Yeah, no, no. I mean, his first summer, the, the first pre-season friendly they had was down at Forest Green. And a really nice club, Forest Green. They're dead welcoming um, and, and really friendly. And I got down there, there was nobody around. And I went into reception and said, I'm just here. I was at the Evening Post at the time, just here for my media pass, which um, the girl behind the, the desk sorted out and she said, I'll just get somebody down to to show you up to um, the press box, which is great. So I, I turned around and, and the person coming down to get me was Mark Cooper, the club's manager. Um, just had a, a 
quick chat and everything else. Um, and he, he showed me up the stairs. And, and we got on to talking about the game and, and the friendly. And he was saying to me, so that, I could hardly believe this, but I, I got a request from Leeds and, and from Bielsa by proxy for permission to request three friendlies that we were playing down in the southwest um, prior to this game. And he said we were playing non-league sides, sides of, of no note particularly. And from his point of view, they were really fitness exercises. He wanted to see the team play well, but it was just a case of a warm-up, you know, to get them going. I think they were in League Two at the time, just to get the, the legs going and, and to get them into the routine of, of the summer again. And he said he was absolutely bemused by the request, but he, he saw, because nobody had ever asked for that before, but he saw no reason to say no. So he said to them, you know, by all means, record the games and, and everything else. And his understanding was that it was so that Bielsa staff could analyse all three friendlies against Forest Green before they went down to play them in pre-season. And I think if if at that point there was any suspicion that it was a one-off or it was just for show or anything else, we found out pretty comprehensively in the two and a half years since that it wasn't. And it's um, that is that is kind of Bielsa doing what Bielsa does. But if they're going to that amount of effort for a pre-season game at Forest Green, I think you can be sure that they've picked Crawley apart to death. We record pre-season friendlies against non-league clubs as well. <laughs> as I'm sure Frank Lampard would have argued. <laughs> He's still in a job. Um, John Yems, I wonder if you get the same uh, welcome from John Yems, the manager down there, as you did from Mark Cooper, because he's quite a character, isn't he? He's, he's had stuff to say um, in the past uh, in post-match interviews, and he's, he's certainly what you, he's one of the game's colourful characters. Spiky, spiky guy who doesn't like what he thinks are obtuse or stupid questions, um, and I wouldn't have said this... Um, is necessarily the most kind of mediagenic, if I can use that phrase, uh, manager out there. But actually, doing a doing a good job with them, and and as I say, has got them got them in the mix. I mean, I think they, like a lot of clubs, will be desperately hoping that they're going to be able to finish this season and and see it out because the you know the big problems with COVID. I mean, the problems with COVID in the Premier League, but big problems with COVID um, much further down the pyramid as well. And there's been a lot of testing this week to make sure that um, that your clubs like Crawley are, are all clear to play. And, and as it stands, that game's certainly going ahead um, unless there's there's any major developments in the next 48 hours. But it seems like both squads are, are in good shape for it. But yeah, I mean, he, he seems to know his own mind, um, this Crawley's manager. And I think, um, think it would be quite a... I don't know whether it'll be a meeting of minds between him and Bielsa, but again, something interesting to watch the two of them on the touchline. Some other spiky characters as well related to um, to Crawley Town. I've been pouring through the pages of the Crawley and Hawley Observer, news you can trust since 1881, no less. And on there is a page of uh, five things that Leeds United and Crawley Town have in common. Top one, Steve Evans. Second one, Harry Keel. Yeah. Two of Leeds' favourite sons. Yeah, um, Evans is always going to come top of that. But actually, I mean, Kiel made such a poor impact down there that I'd totally forgotten he was even there. They also go for the 2007 administration, apparently something we both we both share, which is great. <laughs> uh, getting down further God, down... It's all, it's all positive, isn't it? Further down the list, I think this is probably the highlight of it, um, Sanchez Watt, that's it. Yeah, uh, remember him? Dominic, yes. Dominic Polion, and that's, that is your lot. Wow, so much history. <laughs> <laughs> Predictions then for how this one will go. Come on then, neck on the block time. A 2-0. Away win. Um, I, I don't think necessarily highly spectacular, um, but I think away win and by a couple of goals. Yeah, I fancy similar. We'll get, we've got this one. You got, have we got this one, Michael? We've got it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll say it quickly so it doesn't count. And, and uh, one to watch, please, Phil, then. A battle person issue thing that, uh, that we should be well, keeping our eyes on at the, at the People's Pension Stadium. 
If um, yeah, I knew it was called that. Um, if um, if you're looking at Crawley, look for Waters up front because that's where the goals are coming from. But if um, if Greenwood or Gilhart are potentially both, but if one or other play, then I'll be very very interested to see how they do because we've been hearing a lot about them in dispatches from Thorpe Arch and particularly Greenwood recently. Um, so this could this could be the weekend for them, and and if it is, well worth a look. And of course, not to mention the pundits because uh, everybody loves a TV pundit. Well, I heard um, I heard Ag Bonnehor earlier, earlier this week talking about how if Leeds tightened up at the back, they could be the top four side. And it made me think about how absolutely ludicrous it is that a, a promoted side are being spoken about in terms of what they could do to qualify for the Champions League. I'd be genuinely interested to know the last time anybody looked at a side coming up from the Championship and started to, um, to talk about them in, in those terms. Uh, but I suppose you would call it a, a feather in Bielsa's cap, wouldn't you? It feels like they've had to change the argument in recent weeks because it was that the narrative was that Leeds are going to get dragged into a relegation battle if they don't improve. And then we got some big wins and they've said, oh, should really be doing better than this, shouldn't they? Yeah, and not to mention, um, that's Gabby Agbon Lahore of Bielsa is a myth fame. I mean, come on, we could do, can't we do better than this? If you're going to troll us, at least do it well. They aren't half applying some unrealistic standards to Bielsa and Leeds. I mean, whatever anybody says, in, in my view, this is not a top, Four team. I mean, the, you know, it's it seems totally unrealistic to to think of Leeds in those terms at, at this stage. I I think they're going to finish somewhere between eighth and fourteenth. I think the table's so fluid that it could be as as wide as that. But the idea that they they are good enough to go for top four at this stage, or should even be thinking about top four at this stage, just seems like fantasy football to me, and and is about as baffling as anything else that's been said. Well, I wait with bated breath to find out what brilliant opinion Gabby Egbonlahor has pivoted towards having about Leeds United next week, because I'm sure it will change again. They should have already won the FA Cup. Right, brilliant. Right, well, fingers crossed that the uh, game goes swimmingly at the People's Pension Stadium on Sunday. If you want to catch up with all the stuff Phil's been writing about, including that upcoming under-23s piece that we were talking about today, you can subscribe to The Athletic at theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod to pick up the latest offer. It's three ninety nine a month at the minute. Nice discount for you for the new year. Theathletic.com forward slash leads pod to sign up. We'll speak to you next week. Bye-bye. The Phil Hay Show.